Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy. I am your host. And today on the podcast, the uh, the title of the podcast is Hedonic Adjustment and Why You Shouldn't Hate It. Last week, uh, well, last week we had an inside baseball topic on seasonal adjustment, and it was very well received. So I'm going to hit you with another one today. Uh, this is less important for trading inflation, but it gets people really upset sometimes. Uh, hedonic adjustment is a curse word among those who think that inflation figures are all scrubbed to look nice. Uh, but I'm going to explain what hedonic adjustment is and why it's really not so terrible. Before I get into that, I want to, again, thank our sponsors. This is, this episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs, a fast-growing ETF shop democratizing access to the most sophisticated alternative strategies. With diversifying strategies like market-neutral equity long-short, managed futures, and multi-strat quant, Simplify has a suite of compelling tools to help address the biggest concerns with the classic 60-40 portfolio. Check out their website at Simplify.us. That's Simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at Simplify.us slash ETFs. And now the trivia question. Um, go back to the land of physics here. Why does air released from a bicycle tire or a car tire or a can of compressed air feel cold when it comes out? I don't know if this is trivia necessarily, but it's science and we aren't all scientists. So why does air released from, when you release air from your bicycle tire and it comes out, it's really cold. Or if you use a can of compressed air and you spray a bunch out, the can gets really, really cold and the air coming out is cold. Why does that happen? Okay. So and incidentally, before I start, I, I want to say thank you to those of you listeners who have been sending ideas for episodes. I'm not going to be able to hit all of them. Uh, but I'm going to hit as many as I can. They're great questions. Um, maybe I'll do a, a mailbag episode at some point and, and hit several of them uh, that are that are shorter. Um, I like to hear what you're thinking about and I like to hear what questions, you know, what you care about. Um, highbrow, lowbrow, doesn't really matter to me. If you have a question you think people would like to hear me talk about and, it, and if it concerns inflation – then let me hear from you at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. And, uh, and, you know, we can have a conversation uh, whether or not it gets back to the podcast. We'll see. Now, let's talk about hedonic adjustment. Um, hedonic adjustment is part of the general process of quality adjustment that's necessary in maintaining an inflation index. Actually, I talked about this generally way back in episode four of this here podcast called The Making of an Inflation Index. And I'll, as usual, I'll have a link in the notes to that, um, where I kind of talked about, gee, if you were going to make an inflation index, what are some of the decisions you would have to make um, when you're doing that? And one of the decisions is how, you, how do you handle changes in quality over time? Uh, and so, so that's one of the decisions. How do you handle goods and services that are in the basket in year one, but either don't exist in year two or they've changed in some way in year two? Uh, as an obvious example, an obvious one we sort of all agree with, um, let's 
suppose that in year one, this has, happens all the time, by the way, this isn't really hedonic adjustment, this is quality adjustment. If in year one, the basket includes a 50-ounce box of Cheerios oat cereal for $5, and in year two, there's no longer a 50-ounce box of Cheerios, they're now making it a 40-ounce box, but it's still $5, then then what we get there is a quality adjustment. Um, and what people nowadays call this shrinkflation, um, as if it's something sinister, but the BLS handles this. Uh, in this case, the Cheerios in year one would be, you know, essentially 10 cents an ounce and in year two would be 12 and a half cents an ounce. We're going to adjust by the, for the fact that it, yeah, it costs the same, but you get fewer Cheerios. And so, we went from 10 cents an ounce to 12 and a half cents an ounce, and the BLS would record this as a 25% rate of inflation in Cheerios. And I think we all would agree that makes sense and it's fair. You know, so you can't, uh, you, you might deceive the consumer at the, you know, in the checkout aisle who doesn't realize until later they're getting a slightly smaller box of, of whatever or a slightly smaller candy bar. But, but we all know that that actually happens and, um, and the BLS measures that because that is actually inflation. You're getting, you know, to get the same amount of product, it's going to cost you more. Uh, in that case, you'd have to buy one and a quarter boxes of Cheerios to have the same amount of Cheerios in your two. Now, sometimes the old product just isn't available anymore. So suppose that General Mills went out of business and Cheerios stopped being made. Then the BLS has clearly defined procedures for how you pick a substitute item and for how how you they adjust the price series so that the two series mesh, the one that was Cheerios and the one that was for whatever the substitute for Cheerios is. Uh, that gets a lot more complicated than just making a, a size adjustment, but no one really objects to it because it's kind of obvious that you have to do something if you just don't have a good in year two. Um, and it isn't really clear what else you you would do and, and how you do it. And, and the, their methods are really well documented and spelled out and they seem reasonable. So people don't tend to complain that much where, where it gets a little bit, uh, more controversial, I guess I'll say, um, it, and I'll say this isn't terribly controversial among economists uh, or even inflation traders, but there are a lot of people out there who aren't economists or inflation traders who find this, uh, irritating. And that's the, the situation where the product is still available, but it's changed. Um, and maybe in Cheerios is sort of a bad example here. Um, and in fact, the BLS doesn't use hedonic adjustment for very many items. Most of them are technical or electronic in nature. So you know, here's, here's the large, here's most of the list, telephones, computers, cars, cable, TV service, wireless service, photographic equipment, refrigerators, washers, dryers, stoves, microwave ovens, and cell phones. And weirdly, apparel. Um, uh, I have a link in the notes where you can look at how they do hedonic adjustment for men's suits, uh, which is they footwear, men's suits, all kinds of apparel get quality, uh, get, get hedonically adjusted. And that's just kind of odd compared to the, the rest of the list. But, but anyway, um, you know, those, that list of goods is all put together a pretty small weight in the basket. Um, but there are things which are changing in quality 
very, very rapidly. So let's think about refrigerators, um, which maybe doesn't seem like they change rapidly, but if you're my age and, you know, I was in a, one of the, the apartment that I had when I was in college had, had an actual ice box where you would actually slide in a block of ice to keep something cool. But, um, when you're when you when you get to a certain age and you can see the changes over a longer period of time, refrigerators have changed quite a bit. But let's think about them anyway. Uh, obviously, the model of refrigerator, the particular model that's available from one year to the next, um, isn't always the same. Manufacturers are always changing uh, up what they offer. Um, they certainly aren't making the same model they did 30 years ago, maybe not even five years ago. So what the BLS has done. They've actually done this five times uh, for refrigerators since 2001, most recently in 2021, is they studied how the price of a refrigerator varies with changes in what elements are in the refrigerator. So in, in 2021, they looked at 70 different models of refrigerators covering eight different brands taken from 10 outlets and, and looked at all the different elements like, you know, the, the size of the, the, the freezer, um, whether or not it has an ice maker, uh, what kind of lighting is in it, whether it's white or black, what's the brand, and all those things. And they ran a regression where price was a function of all those different elements. And they estimated the coefficients for all those different elements. Okay, so um, I'm not going to go into how you run that kind of regression. You may know, you may have learned in school, but it's not terribly important to what we do here. The idea is that we're trying to tie price as an output to this list of uh, qualities, this list of components of the refrigerator. So that if I gave you a list of components, you could tell me by plugging it into the equation what the price of the refrigerator, you, you would, what you would expect it to be. And again, every, uh, you know, since, uh, since 2001, you know, the BLS has done that regression for refrigerators five different times. So they keep it fresh. The next year, when different models of refrigerators are available, they can now take those re regression parameters and apply it to the new refrigerator's characteristics to essentially estimate the price of the, ref the refrigerator should be if there was no inflation. Okay, and then they compare it to the actual price of the fridge in the market, and the difference is attributed to... It, the difference is, is how the price of that collection of components changed uh, because a refrigerator can change prices for two reasons. One is inflation. The same set of components, same set of qualities cost more. And the other is that we added an ice dispenser. And so that refrigerator is going to be more expensive. And hedonic adjustment is how we track just the price change and, and not the ice dispenser. Now, that's why this makes some people mad because the quality of appliances, and it's mostly appliances and tech stuff we're talking about, because the quality of appliances keeps getting better, some of the price changes are attributed to that improvement. So when the price of a refrigerator goes from $1,000 to $1,100, that might not show up as 10% inflation because part of that is because the standard freezer capacity of refrigerators increased this year. And that by itself would have increased the price 5%, even if there was no inflation. I'm making up numbers, obviously. 
So we measured a 10% price change of refrigerators, but we say there's only 5% inflation because the freezer's worth an extra 5%. And that irritates some people. They say things like, I don't have the option of choosing the old refrigerator. So this is forced on me. It, 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 my costs clearly went up 10%. That's the common cry. The point being that your social security check is based on the 5% that CPI went up. And, but your cost of living went up 10% because you had to buy the new refrigerator. Sure, your standard of living also went up, but that was forced on you. And essentially, it came out of your pocket. Your standard of living went up 5%. You had to pay for that. And the Social Security paid you 5% because the cost of your old standard of living, which isn't available anymore, went up 5%. So I can understand the irritation. That's perfectly, that's a perfectly reasonable complaint. Um, but remember, there's, there's really no other way we can't, for what CPI wants to do. We can't pretend that the old refrigerator or the old cell phone is still for sale. It's not. And we can't pretend that the 10% increase was all inflation. Inflation is a rise in the price of the same set of goods. This is a different good. So there's no way to not take this into account in an inflation measure. If we're measuring, if we were measuring the cost of living, that's a different issue. The cost of living a cost of living index would take into account not just the change in price for an unchanged standard of living, but also the increase in the cost uh, of the improved standard of living. Okay, but, but that component, along with taxes and some other things that aren't goods and services, but are costs of living, those things are not in CPI. And the BLS makes it very clear to say that CPI is not a cost of living index. It's a price index. It's a measure of an unchanged standard of living. So again, frustrating, but it doesn't mean that the CPI is being manipulated downward. It's just not measuring what, what you sort of viscerally feel like it should be measuring. Um, and so everyone gets upset that the price of CPI is being manipulated downward, but the upset, the, the degree of upset, also turns out to be far out of proportion to the actual effect of hedonic adjustment. You know, I was just talking about 10% and 5%. The effect is much, much smaller than that. In 2006, and I've got a link uh, in the notes to, to this paper as well. 2006, three authors um, wrote... Uh, Johnson, Reed, and Stewart wrote an article in Monthly Labor Review reviewing the effects of CPI um, uh, that some of the BLS policies had had. And they concluded that, quote, the net effect of hedonics from 1999 onward, so it's seven years, um, on the all items index is estimated to be less than one hundredth of one percent per year, specifically 0.005%. So if inflation without hedonics would have been 3%, uh, inflation with hedonic adjustment would be 2.995%. Not something to get ter terribly upset about. Now that seems suspiciously small, right? But it's really, it turns out it's actually two effects. The one we've discussed so far are significant adjustments generally lower, to inflation for products and services experiencing rapid change. 
you know, technology, appliances, things like that. But those items taken together are relatively small weights. So the large changes on small weights. And so the overall effect on those things is something more on the order of one-tenth of a percent. So your inflation over the course of the year, instead of being three, would be recorded as 2.9%. Um, but there's also an offsetting effect. And the offsetting effect turns out to be almost almost exactly the same size, which is why you end up with a very small net effect. Um, and that effect, that offsetting effect is small, but it's on a really big part of the consumption basket, and it's in the other direction. And that is the age adjustment on the housing stock. And that affects about one-third of the whole consumption basket that represents shelter. So that's in the opposite direction. The BLS recognizes that if you paid $1,000 to rent an apartment in one year and $1,000 to rent the same apartment in the second year, then the apartment has actually declined in quality a little bit. It, it ages, you know? I mean, you, you can't help it. I mean, you can maintain it, but over time, houses get older. And over time, you know, any given year, it doesn't didn't have a big effect, but over time, and if you've lived in one house for a long period of time, you know that over time that house goes down in quality. Um, as a consequence, even though your rent in that case or your owner's equivalent rent, if you want to, because we, because we apply that also to owner's equivalent rent, even though your rent didn't change, the BLS records that as a little bit of inflation. It's sort of the opposite of shrinkflation, really. I mean, it's, or I guess it's the same as shrinkflation. Your house kind of shrunk by that amount of quality. And so the BLS records that as more inflation. Now, it's a really small amount, but it's on a really big part of the basket. And, and, and by the way, it's a great illustration, I think, of how the BLS isn't just trying to push inflation lower. If they wanted to push inflation lower, they could totally ignore the aging of the housing stock, and nobody would care because it's just not that big of an effect. Um, nobody would bat an eye, but it's fair that they include it, and so they include it. They really are just trying to get it right. Now, so that means that overall hedonic adjustment, it just isn't, isn't big enough that it really upsets you very much. Um, and, but occasionally it can matter. And, and the BLS doesn't always get it right. Sometimes they, they screw something up, and, or, or that, that's not even fair. Uh, but here's an example. In, in March of 2017, the price index for cell phone services fell 7% in one month, um, which caused a meaningful drop in core CPI. Now, your cell phone plan didn't fall 7%, in one month. Uh, you know, prices for cell phone plans were actually still going up. So what happened? Well, what happened was that around the time, wireless telephone companies, uh, which had previously metered data, all started offering unlimited plans that were taken up enthusiastically. So you went from having one megabyte of free data to two megabytes of free data to 10 gigabytes of free data to unlimited data. Now, I don't care what your coefficient is. If you multiply that coefficient by infinity, it gets, it's going to be a big effect. And that's kind of what happened. The hedonic adjustment said, wow, you got 
a really, 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 really large improvement in in quality because it's really a nonlinear effect and it wasn't taken, it was taken into account as kind of a linear effect. So, you know, it was, and that was the consequence of, of the hedonic adjustment. And it was clearly squirrely at the time. We looked at it and said, oh, okay, that's why 7%, that doesn't make any sense. And and I can remember calling the BLS to get an explanation and, and they were a little sheepish, but, you know, they were just, you know, following the rules that they'd put in their book and they followed it to a T and there wasn't a whole lot they could do. And, and you know, by the way, interestingly, since that time, cell phone services CPI has basically been flat. So, you know, for years and years, cell phone services CPI had been declining because we'd had this gradual, you know, gradually get more data and more features and so on um, in cell phone services. Not talking about the cell phone itself, but in cell phone services. But once they went to unlimited, there just weren't a whole lot of ways to improve it a lot. And so cell phone uh, cell phone services CPI has been more or less flat since 2017 after having been in a downtrend f- forever. So you can kind of think about that 7% is just sort of accelerating, uh, you know, that that change to unlimited. And it, and it just should have been smeared over a longer period of time, perhaps. Um, except that in that month, you really did get, or if you got a plan in that month, you really did get a, a vastly better plan. And since all of us consume so much data, you're probably listening to this podcast right now on a data stream uh, that's not costing you anything. Um, you know, it's legitimate that it, it uh, you know, is a, an increase in quality. Anyway, the BLS is trying and, and, uh, and I think they're trying their best. So that's how hedonic, hedonic adjustment works. And that's why you shouldn't really be upset about it. It's not net-net a very big effect. Uh, CPI isn't a cost of living index, but it does what it's supposed to do. It measures the cost of a constant standard of living pretty well. Um, maybe you want more of a cost of living measure, and there's a reasonable argument to be had about that, reasonable discussion to be had, but that's not what CPI is. You can't be all things to all people, and for what CPI is supposed to, to be, it does it pretty well. All right. Well, that's it. That's all for today. And and uh, except for going back to the trivia question, and the question was, why does air released from a car tire or a bicycle tire or a can of compressed air feel cold when it comes out? Uh, the phenomenon is due to the fact that the temperature of a gas is directly proportional to its pressure. It's a uh, Gay-Lussac's law, um, and the 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 equation describing that effect is really, really simple. It's P1, pressure, you know, the first pressure divided by the first temperature is equal to the second pressure divided by the second temperature. So as your air goes from high pressure uh, at one temperature to a lower pressure, then the temperature of the gas must fall as well. And that's exactly what happens. So anyway... That's all for today's podcast. Please like, subscribe, refer others. Um, you know, do follow me. Do follow us. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. Again, send those questions and the ideas for, for podcast topics if you like. Subscribe for free to the blog at inflationguy.blog. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. And, and come to enduringinvestments.com if you have an inflation challenge or 
um, want to talk about inflation. Uh, we're about to roll out a new website, and I'll announce that on the podcast when we do that. Most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.